Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLUCIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you Matt Ferry, welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. Matt, thanks for coming in and talking to us about such an important area in planning. Tom, thank you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, and it's really an honor to be a guest. Well, you know, you uh, are a very good attorney. We've spoken many times about what happens with law law and business, and uh and I know you're going to dispel some of the thinking that business owners have, and we're going to get into that. But let me introduce to you, to the audience, who you are. Uh, Matt, before becoming a lawyer, was a business owner. So he's on two sides of the street and knows him well. As a business owner, he learned the importance of business moving forward. Lawyers shouldn't be an expensive obstacle that prevents business. He understands the need of business and looks to provide efficient solutions instead of expensive delays. Matt is licensed to practice in Georgia and Pennsylvania. He's located in Peachtree Corners. That's a nice name, Matt. Georgia. Uh, and his practice really focuses on business law and business litigation. And Matt's a mediator and arbitrator with Miles Mediation and Arbitration. And that's one of the country's premier providers of alternative dispute resolution services. And Matt also has a great podcast called The Building Business Podcast. Um, when not assist, assu- assisting clients, uh, he really enjoys baseball coaching his kids with his family. He's now coaching an all-star team, pulling out his hair, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of fun, though. But Mike, the nice thing about Matt, he finds ways of spending time with his family, even though he has this incredible busy schedule. So, Matt, welcome again. I appreciate very much your time. Tom, thank you. Thanks for that nice introduction as well. You're welcome. Um I guess quick disclaimer is that we, I know we're going to discuss legal concepts, but this is not a legal advice that you're giving, but the topics are discussed are for the conversation and educational purposes only. Please consult a lawyer regarding your specific needs and the applicable laws in your state. So, you know, what's uh, when I first met you, what really stuck out was the fact that you were a business owner before. Well, I don't know whether you were a lawyer before that or after that, but you were on that side of owning a business. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Thanks, Tom. I was a business owner prior to becoming a lawyer. So uh, after I had graduated from college, I had two short uh, 
call them mini careers prior to becoming a lawyer. One of those was owning a distribution company. And that distribution company provided customized printed products. And that's actually what the name of it was, customized printed products uh, for businesses. So, you know, you have, this is back in the day where a lot of businesses were driven by customized forms, Uh, you know, with the advent of the color laser printer and some of the more sophisticated printing machines, some of those forms are no longer necessarily printed previous to as a form. They just are filled out and generated by the computer. But when I was in this business, a lot of forms were generated for use prior to being completed. And one of my largest clients was a company that served nursing homes throughout the country. And as you can imagine, back in those days, I'm dating myself a little bit, but they used actual printed charts uh, where they completed uh, on a daily basis, uh, information regarding their, their patients and their residents at the homes. And so that was the focus of my business prior to becoming a lawyer. I owned this distribution company. I had a few employees and I really enjoyed the process of owning a business and running a business and the entrepreneurial kind of drive and kick that you get out of doing that. So that was, that was the, the business ownership aspect. And then the second uh, mini career that I had prior to becoming a lawyer was that I developed software for a printing company that I had worked with. Uh, I had a good relationship with them. I actually worked with this printing manufacturer while I was in high school and college and learned the printing industry pretty well uh, from the manual aspects of it out in the shop where I started in high school through the office and administrative side and then into their computer section as well. So I had a long relationship with this printing company before I got into the distribution side. Uh, We were not ever in conflict. Actually, we worked together quite a bit because the manufacturer sold through distributors, not directly to the public. So it was a good relationship for us when I did my own business as well. But I also did computer software development for them. And what it was, I I, I configured or reconfigured might be the right, better way to say it, their internal computer software for their processes. So from quoting to order entry through manufacturing and shipping, and then through customer tracking of their orders once they were sent out. So that was a, a, an interesting career. I did not have a computer science background. I actually have a degree, a dual degree in political science and philosophy, but I've always been uh, pretty pretty well suited for computer work and uh, taught myself computer programming and really enjoyed that as well. Those two things kind of set me well into what then became my legal career because the computer programming was really solving puzzles. Uh, If you really think about it, it's making this line of code work with that line of code to achieve the goal and to get it to the end. And then the business aspect, obviously running and operating a business and understanding the aspects of that set me well down the path on what I would do when I became a lawyer. Originally thinking that I would be an estate planner, I attended Michigan State University and shortly thereafter found that I enjoyed the business more than I enjoyed the estate planning and had some work uh, in the litigation world while I was in school and found that interesting as well. So after I graduated, I practiced law in Pennsylvania for a few years. That's where I'm originally from. And then traveled to Atlanta for a weekend with my wife and visited some friends and realized that the weather in Atlanta is substantially better than it was in Western Pennsylvania. And shortly thereafter, my wife and I relocated to to Georgia in 2006. And since then, 
practicing law here in Georgia? Well, you know, uh, as a business owner of 50 plus years, as uh, I, I'm thinking, wow, what a great experience before, and you're learning in business, and you're not even thinking, hey, I'm going to be a lawyer one of these days. Let me focus on this business and learn. You're just learning as you go. But what a, what a great experience uh, to have before you now become an attorney. And now you can look through the eyes of a business owner uh, and through the eyes of an attorney, uh, what it takes to get a good job done for a business owner. Yeah. Tom, what I, what I often talk about with folks in that arena is that, you know, a lot of lawyers have the, the book smarts associated with the business law. They took the classes, they know the material they've studied well, they can do the research, but there is a little bit of a difference between the academics and the practice of business. And when you have the the benefit of having operated a business and having to deal with those issues, you also understand the mindset of the business owner, which may not necessarily be the legal issues, but the mindset that the owner has and how typically business owners, especially small and medium-sized business owners are somewhat adverse to being proactive about obtaining legal advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because I see they what I see a lot of times and have seen is, you know, I would tell them, you really have an issue here and you really should see an attorney. And they're thinking in their head, they're not saying it. They're not saying it, uh, Matt. They're saying, I don't want to spend a, a $450, 500 bucks just to find out of a problem I have. Not realizing by not going and finding out that's not a 400 dollar problem it's a 45,000 or a $450,000 problem right yeah and it's it's kind of the uh you know penny wise pound foolish concept in the sense that it it doesn't appear to be a problem until it's too big of a problem to, to prevent and you know the the cost of prevention is oftentimes very minuscule compared to the uh, the cost of repair and so you know it's sort of if you look at it like your your personal health, for example, if you tend to eat healthy and you tend to exercise and you tend to do those things, you're being proactive about your health. If you wait until you have been diagnosed with issues because you haven't taken care of yourself, it's oftentimes a lot harder to get yourself back into good health. And that's very much the same for your business. Do you have a, uh, when you talk to a business owner, because you, we're going to talk about the type of people you work with. But do you have these quite frank talks about, uh, you know, listen, uh, you got some problems here. Let's talk it out and how you feel about them. Because I, I, I've worked with attorneys most of my life and some are extremely good. But I've seen attorneys where they just look at something where it's black and white and they don't realize there's a lot of gray areas, especially in family businesses where it's feely and touchy feely. And you have to know that side of it rather than the the facts, the hard numbers, do you, do you end up having a lot of those type of conversations before you either engage them or they engage you? Yes, Tom, absolutely. The The conversations in that arena, it's it's oftentimes not black and white. While the, while the letter of the law may, in fact, be black and white, the decisions with business owners can't really be looked at through that black and white on and off switch kind of mentality because Ultimately, at the end of the day, business owners, especially, you know, the, you, they have an entrepreneurial spirit. Entrepreneurs, by their nature, are are somewhat 
willing to take risks and in order to grow their business have to take certain risks. So what it is, is identifying those risks and the potential consequences of those risks. And ultimately when you're trying to do is stop directing the business. In other words, when a business owner comes to a lawyer to have a conversation, they're not really asking you to take over and tell them how to run their business. That is absolutely not what they need. They know how to run their business. It's their business. What they need is someone to say to them, look, Tom, if you do this, here are the potential consequences of that. Now you can minimize your risk ex- risk exposure on a few of these by doing a few things, or you could decide not to do them. However, I realize that you know, deciding not to do that means you're not doing business. So we just have to find what level of risk is it that you're willing to take on. And then we craft the solution to match that level of risk so that you can continue to business. It's, I think a lot of people oftentimes think if I go to the lawyer, all the lawyer is going to do is tell me no and cost a lot of money to tell me no. And that. Yeah. That's not what that's not what a business owner needs or wants. And that, that causes a lot of hesitation from business owners and wanting to seek out counsel that they need. Being proactive versus reactive is a substantially better position to be in. And and that's just kind of a, a mindset that has to be cleared up up front that whatever perceived idea you have of a, a lawyer, whatever lawyer is, you you've got you have a you as a lawyer have a job to change that in the way you treat them and, and talk to them and communicate to them. And, and, and Matt, um, what's, what's your market? What size market do you work with, with business owners? It's, it's typically small and medium sized businesses that, that I work with regularly. There are outliers to that where I have a few large businesses that I do provide services to on a pretty regular basis. Uh, the, it, it really does range a little bit because I start with people that are just starting their business. And maybe it's a, a single member LLC that needs to be formed for a person that's just getting started. And I'm happy to help those types of people. And I, I find those those situations actually pretty exciting from the entrepreneurial aspect. I work with businesses that have multiple owners. It's it's more it's more the, the business ownership size that really distinguishes where I typically fall. I typically work with businesses that have less than five owners, but that, like I said, there are outliers to everything. And the some of them are fairly substantial and have pretty substantial revenue. They just don't have enough of a legal need to have a full-time lawyer on staff. So rather than undergoing or undertaking the expense of having a full-time general counsel in their office on an everyday basis, they realize that, Hey, I may have a legal question come up once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, but I don't have a legal question that comes up every day. So I don't need to pay a full-time salary to a lawyer, but I need to have someone that knows my business, knows me and that I can rely on when things do come up. And I, I fill that role as outside general counsel to a lot of businesses. Yeah, it's a good role to be in, too, because um, it's very flexible for you, not only uh, now, but also the future, because you, you have probably seen the makeup of businesses change uh, over time to a point where they're not fun to work with anymore. So it, <laughs> I because I've seen that uh, uh, on the other hand, you saw something that, you know, started out and you didn't think it was going anywhere. And now it's all, it's zooming. So it's kind of nice to have the flexibility of whether you want to keep on working or not working with that client. Uh, and they have that option obviously also. Yeah. That works both ways for sure. It, oh, it does. Yeah. But it's kind of exciting because, um, 
there's a lot of flexibility on where you're going down the road with these people. And so, Paul, I mean, Matt, you let's say you you uh, start working with somebody. Tell me about your process. Let's say I call you and I own a, a business, Matt, and I want to talk to you because I just have not focused on what the right things are to do. And I'm kind of a new business. Take me through a procedure that you would uh, apply to to me. Sure. We would typically schedule either a telephone conversation or a Zoom meeting to go over what your business is about, where you are today, where you look like you're going in the future. How are you handling the current legal needs? Are you aware of your current legal needs? Because a lot of times the business owners aren't really even aware of what they're not aware of, if that makes sense, that they don't know that they have a need that they really are missing out on. So it's really identifying a couple of those things for folks to to try to figure it out. But ultimately during the early conversations, I wanna get to know the person and I wanna get to know the business. Um, I try very, very hard to become very familiar with the people and the business so that the relationship is not transactional. I'm not just, you know, they go to the vending machine and they push C4 because they want a Snickers bar. Uh, I I am someone that they call and that they know that I, that I understand them. I know them. I understand their business goals. I know what they're working toward. And I I know ultimately a little bit about their, enough about their business to be able to say, look, I get it. Maybe we should consider X instead of Y or, Hey, I like your idea. Let's, let's run with it, but let's, let's, let's do it this way. Or, Maybe we just need to paper your idea because it's already ready to go. And I guess what I'm going at that my, my focus in my business is not on obtaining the, the highest number of volume clients that I can obtain. It's, a, it's focused on obtaining high value, long-term relationships with people and businesses because I focus on the people in the business. And I want to be a part of that on a long-term basis as opposed to a one-off transaction. Yeah. And that's a smart move because it, it benefits everybody involved and uh, having that relationship, which, you know, you don't, and, and you don't want it to be transactional because you can't survive transactional either way as a, as a vent, as a business owner or as an attorney, uh, most of my business clients that I've ever worked with have great relationships with their CPA and their attorneys, their friends, they work together, they trust each other. And that brings me to another question, uh, only because in my practice, uh, I always try to, uh, when I started working with a business owner, I would always ask permission to get in touch with all the other advisors he worked with and had faith with so I could get him in one room, so to speak, and have conversations with him. Um, do you try to do that when you when you start a relationship with a business owner? Yeah, not only when I start the relationship, but typically those those types of cross communications happen all the time. And what I mean by that is, you know, how does this business relationship that my client's contemplating work from a legal perspective, but how does it work from a tax and planning perspective as well? Or how does it fit into the focus of what they're trying to do from a a revenue build or valuation aspect for their business so that long-term it's playing up the business value of the company? And those those aren't solely issues for an accountant. Those aren't solely issues for a financial planner. And those aren't solely issues for a lawyer. But when you put 
those three heads in the same conversation, maybe an additional head or two, depending on the particulars of the business, you end up having the collective knowledge is a generic way to put it, but the, the collective knowledge of the client and the business to be able to make sure that one aspect of it is not overrunning the other aspect. So the, the tax benefit aspect of it's not causing them to miss out on the value aspect of it for the business valuation side, or the legal document isn't putting them in a position that, that they could avoid tax wise um, being better suited in another way if we would have formatted it differently. So it's oftentimes a, a good idea, especially when we're talking about larger transactional issues between businesses to, to have that kind of free flow of communication between all of the professional advisors. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I always felt that working with all the advisors was just an easier way of building all types of relationships and really understanding where the business owner wants to go, which is so important. And you said it so nicely. Yeah, not one person can do all the type of planning. You need more information. So I, I'm glad that I, I, I expected that from you, that that's the way you do like to, to work. Talk, let's talk about um, uh, governing documentation regarding the business and how important that is. Yeah, so I'm a big proponent of making sure that you have your your business document structure in place. And there are different kinds of documents that are required depending on the type of business that you have. Uh, if you think, for example, if you have a an LLC, you're going to have an operating agreement. But if you have a corporation, you, you're, you're more reliant on your bylaws and your shareholder agreements. Uh, but ultimately, those serve the same structural purpose. They are governing the operation of how the business is going to go. And there are a couple of reasons that I think that these are very crucial. And I think a lot of times, especially at the startup stage, people overlook this and they just start call it, trucking down the road without knowing where they're going. And then when they hit a wall, they realize, uh-oh, uh, we could have avoided this, but now we're in a big problem because we didn't. But the kind of things that you need to make sure that are getting covered are, you know, how are decisions being made? You know, is the decision being made by a, a everything being made by the owners at the ownership level? Are there appointed officers or managers that are making certain level decisions that are governed and controlled then by the board of oversight? Uh, do you have a procedure in place to decide what happens when you disagree? You know, how, how much of a vote is necessary in order to do something? How do you resolve a dispute is a huge issue. And, I, and I'll touch on that in a little bit as well, because I'd like to touch a little bit on, on being a mediator and what that means for me. But we'll get through this first. Buy and sell provisions are a big point because you know everybody going into the business may be very excited about what they're doing, what their business is going to do. And sometimes a business owner may get tired of working in this particular business, or maybe there's some discord between some of the people that originally were getting along in the business and now they're not. Do you have provisions in your document? And I talked about the buy sell aspect, but you know, how, how do you exit the business without destroying the business? 
How do you resolve a dispute between co-owners without destroying the business? One of the quickest ways to destroy a business is to not have a procedure in place for what happens when the co-owners don't agree. Uh, that that happens on a very regular basis, and the you know the the results end up being very devastating for the business and the value of the business. And when you, you know, even if you decide you're going to sell the business at that point in time. If a, if a buyer knows that there's a substantial amount of discord between the current ownership, uh, there are going to be substantial discounts in the buyer's mind that get applied to the value of the business based on that. One, they know that there's a there's an opportunity here. They, they may be more motivated than typical sellers because they need to get out of this situation. But two, if the owners are fighting, they're not focusing on their their clients, their customers, their their products, their services, whatever it is that they do. They're focused on that battle and there will be slippage in the profitability of the business when those when those situations arise. So you have to have a way and a mechanism to take care of that to avoid it. And these governing documents provide that kind of structure so that things are taken care of while everybody's getting along, you agree to the process. Then when people don't get along, you have the process in place and you don't have to try to figure out how to agree at a time where you're already in a disagreement. I, I, a, yeah, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Finish up. The, the last, the, the the last two things on that. You know, I, I mentioned value going down. Uh, you know, someday you're going to exit your business, right? If you're a business owner, at some point in time, you're going to exit, whether it be through sale, retirement, death, etc. You know, and having these documents in place provides an opportunity to present your business for valuation in a way that's better than if you don't have them. And I use the analogy all the time that if you're going to sell your house, you typically clean it and have it ready to go because a clean house is going to sell for a higher price than a dirty house. And that's very similar with a business as well. And then finally, the last thing is corporate separateness. A lot of people go into business and form the corporation for the purpose of getting that liability protection that they believe comes along with having either a corporation or an LLC to maintain that protection from those liabilities. You have to have uh, certain things in place and and act in a certain way because you have to treat the business as a true separate entity as opposed to your own individual alter ego. And if you don't do that, you, you're potentially exposing yourselves to the debts that you form the company to avoid. Uh, so that that's, that's a very big important point as well to avoid piercing of the corporate veil. Uh, and there are other things you have to do as well, like not commingling personal funds and company funds, but that the corporate formation and the structure definitely go a long way to to helping set yourself up in a situation where you won't have have a person coming after the company saying that you're individually liable as well. You know, um, again, I have the benefit of being in practice 51 years now and going back, looking over my shoulder and thinking of all the times I've said to business owners, you really, I know you have a buy and sell agreement. You did it four years ago, but you really should be looking at it every two years because like life, things change in a business. Like families, there's always dynamics. And I, Matt, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen disruptions between partners where the buy and sell agreement has outdated itself and it's not working and there's a fight over that valuation, the formula, whatever it might be. Um, and I guess as people are listening, I would say if you're a business owner, I would 
I would really tell you as a practitioner that you should be speaking to people like Matt about every two years just to update and fine tune your buy and sell. And you're absolutely right, Matt. And uh, it's in my book. I talk about that. I use the same example. You know, you go into business, you invest. Well, if you bought a home, you're going to keep that home great because you never know when someone's going to knock on that door and give you 30% more of what you even thought you would get, right? Same thing with a business. So you got to have all those things in, in place. Um, it's interesting, though. Let me ask your opinion. I've seen many, many business owners who really are very uh, they're not complete in their planning. They start it, they get it done, they sign the papers, they put it in a draw. Why aren't they more motivated to update these governing papers? I, I think it's a checkbox to them. Uh, and, and, and they, they've checked the box. They've got the documents in place. They are in the drawer. That's where they need to be. They don't need to look at them until they need them. Right. And, it's, it's, I think, a, a division of mindset aspect. What I, what I mean by that is they, they don't want to deal with lawyers and legal aspects. They want to get that over with, put it away, put it behind them. They don't want to have an ongoing relationship with a, an advisor that could help them avoid so many problems that, uh, for, for themselves going down the road. Instead, they want to focus on their idea and their business because that's what really got them going down this. And that's what really has their passion. So they tend to put blinders on and charge down the road on the, on their business idea, as opposed to being more holistic about the business itself. Their business idea is, is obviously the most important part of their business because that's what got them there in the first place. But putting the blinders on and running down the road may actually be, put put be be setting themselves up for a disaster later on as you mentioned not not taking care of those documents and not having them in place but also not documenting contracts with other businesses properly or just or just nonchalantly signing the contract that's provided to them by another business uh, if you if you're taking the contract that another business provided to you and just signing off on it and moving on more likely than not, and when I say more likely than not, I'm talking about almost all the time, that contract is going to be slanted in favor of the other party. Uh, their, their lawyer drafted it with the knowledge that people are just going to sign off on it. And if you take it to your own lawyer and have your lawyer spend a little bit of time looking at it and talking to you, you can appreciate the risks that are included within that contract. And you can decide, look, I either want to go back to this business and say, we are okay with most of your contract, but we want to make some changes to make this a little more even. Or, wow, now that we realize what this company is doing, we want to pick a different company to work with because we don't really feel good about this anymore. But a lot of folks just blindly sign off on it. And it's it's this drive for their business idea as opposed to looking at their business as a whole and, and thinking of it as more than just the product or idea and I, I think I, I, I've talked to you about this before, but when you look at certain things as investments instead of costs, that changes your perspective on how you deal with issues like your buy sells or your contracts with other companies or, or any real issues that come up, whether it's your planning, your valuation, all of that. 
when you look at certain things as an investment, it, it's, it's a different perspective. And what I mean by that, Tom, is when you, when you get a bill from your lawyer, one, you should have an idea what that bill is going to look like before you get it. It shouldn't be a surprise. And I, I hate surprise bills. Uh, I, w- I don't send surprise bills out to folks. We, we go into the conversation knowing what the, what the idea is going to be. Now, litigation is a little different in the sense that it's an hourly rate for things that we can't control, but there's still an idea of what's going on so that you're not surprised. The people, the business owners need to understand on the front end, the, the advisory advice, whether it's a lawyer, financial planner, an accountant, any type of professional advisory service, they need to they need to consider that an investment in their business. That's that's them saying to themselves, I value this business enough that I want to make sure that it's doing the best it can now and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the and on the day I try to sell it to move on. And if you look at it as an investment, then when you pay that bill, you're not looking at it as just a off the top of the uh, profit line cost. You look at it as that's me buying something that's buying that's increasing the value of the overall pie that I have, as opposed to the other mindset, which is if it's a four hundred dollar bill, it's a four hundred dollar cost. I'm not thinking about the investment aspect. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point because I think most people are not trained to think that way when they go into business. But if, on the other hand, you 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 laid that out to say, listen, you have a budget for your IT. You have a budget for your janitorial services. You have a budget for this. You have, they're all costs and you're getting something out. Well, you need a budget for your law and accounting uh, costs because they are needed. I, I think that's the other thing too, Matt. I think a lot of small businesses look at law uh, lost services as, as needed and not preventive. I think that's a big thing, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. Hey, I know you have an exciting, uh, job as a mediator and I don't know much about that. So I'm, I would like to learn more about what you do as a mediator. I'm happy to talk about that, Tom, the being a mediator stemmed out of my practice as a litigator. So I have litigated business issues for clients and courts in several states for many years. And, you know, litigation is the best system. The, the current litigation system in the United States is the best system that we probably can come up with at the moment. There may be ways to improve it, but it's certainly imperfect. And especially for business, it's a long, drawn out process. It's a very expensive process. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a gamble. And, and what I mean by that is when you get your case to a judge or a jury, that judge or a jury could go one way or the other, and you don't really know how that case is going to turn out uh, or what fact the jury or the judge, they're going to get stuck on and, and make their decision based on, you know, something that seems very important to you, maybe de minimis to them, something de minimis to them, you know, it's just, doesn't doesn't rise to the level of getting your case in your favor. So what what is it that you're doing when you go into litigation? You're going through this this battling process and I, I talked a little bit about this as well, but you know, when you're in litigation, you, your focus then becomes litigation and you take your eye off the ball of, it, of being a business owner. And you know, sometimes you spend too much time and you have to spend a lot of time dealing with 
the lawsuit itself and you, and you lose a little bit of focus on the business and ultimately your business suffers because you're spending time and money somewhere else as opposed to on it. And so mediation provides the parties, the opportunity with their lawyer to go to seek out the counsel of a mediator who can help broker a resolution short of going the whole way through litigation. And the role of the mediator is to, you know, have confidential conversations with each of the parties and then go back and forth and try to get the parties to find a place where they can come to meet and say, this is a reasonable resolution to this problem, weighing the risks, the costs, and all of the time. This, this today will be a better solution for us than going the whole way through litigation and taking a chance. And what I really, really like about that is in addition to avoiding this long drawn out, costly damaging experience of litigation, they can craft solutions that you can't necessarily get in court. Uh, you know, in, in a courtroom setting, there are only a certain number of, of ways that the court can resolve a case, you know, you're going to get the money, you're going to get this, uh, in mediation. Sometimes you can broker a solution that just isn't something available to the court. Like maybe you, you renegotiate, the business deal between the parties and they continue to do business now that they've worked through this problem. If it's an important business relationship, that, that may have more value to them than a judgment at the end of the day. So I've had the opportunity to work with miles mediation and arbitration services and as a mediator, and I love it. It's, it's a, it's a fantastic service. It's a lot of fun for me. I love trying to help people get from where they are in their dispute to a resolution so they can get back to business. I have the experience of litigating so I can tell them I've seen your case before. I have a a reasonably decent idea of the different issues that are going to be presented at trial. And this can go either way. Most, most good litigators who have actually litigated a lot will tell you that they've won cases. They should have lost. They've lost cases. They should have won. And when you get into a conversation with the clients about that, they, they start to realize that, you know, while I may be very passionate that I'm absolutely in the right, maybe there's a better way to do this than, than to, to fight it out the whole way to the end. Uh, it's kind of an interesting aspect for me because I do the litigation work also. So sometimes cases don't resolve through mediation and you have to litigate them. And I understand that. So I'm not saying that mediation is the only way to resolve things. I just think that it is such a valuable tool to be used by businesses to get back to business. I like to see contracts have a mediation clause in them requiring mediation before they litigate because sometimes they just avoid a lot of their own problems by getting in a room and having a neutral who's not tied to either party say, I hear you. Are you considering the other issue here? You know, if I were looking at this, I would be wanting to know the answer to this question. It brings the people together. It gives them an opportunity to be heard and it gives them an opportunity to get back to focusing on their business. So Matt, and I agree with you, Matt. And uh, so here's my question. When does the topic of mediation come up? If I have a dispute with my partner and we're, our attorneys are working on it, when is, the, when is mediation discussed? Is it before, uh, you know, eggs are thrown at each other? What's, what's happening? Where does it fall in that um, decision-making process? Well, there are a couple of ways you can deal with mediation. One is through a contractual agreement to mediate. So if you have in your governing documents that you're going to mediate a dispute before you do anything else with it, then the, that becomes a prerequisite to litigation. The 
alternative is litigation is a voluntary process. So if, if both parties agree, you can mediate at any time. And then lastly, in a lot of courts today, the if you file and you proceed with litigation before the court's going to allow you to go through a trial process, they're going to require that you mediate. So you can be court ordered to mediate. So there are a lot of different avenues through which you can end up in mediation. Uh, I, I, I would encourage people that are listening that if you end up in one of those situations, don't look at mediation as just a check the box because I have to do it. Go into the mediation with the mindset of we may be able to figure this out today and we have a we have somebody here that's going to work hard to try to make it happen. I, I would gather that you like to put that mediation clause in a lot of your contracts. I, I do. I, I tend to, where appropriate and when I can, put a mediation clause in because I, I really do think... Uh, you know, when you look at the statistics, and I, I'm I'm not sure what the current statistics are, but it's somewhere, but it's a very high number, probably 75, 80 percent of cases that go to mediation settle. And, and you know, uh, again, this is my advantage of being older than everybody. I look back and I see some of the the, the battles in court and the cost and the time and the stress. I um, I had a client that went through. Uh, a year with his partner that just broke up and, and it took a year out of his life and a lot of money. And if he had only gotten together and not be stubborn, he could have settled it in a month. Uh, and uh, you know, I saw that many years ago. So I'm a big believer in mediation too. Uh, and um, it is interesting, isn't it? It, uh, it almost should be mandatory that that's the way you got to go before you start setting up court dates and stuff. I don't know. I would like to see it that way. And I think courts are becoming more active in pushing cases to mediation as well because of the benefit. You know, when you see a, a court docket that has hundreds and maybe even in some cases, thousands of cases on the docket, uh, yeah, yeah. they're looking, they're looking for ways to get something finished. Yeah. And if, if mediation can solve 75% of those cases, then obviously a court has a substantial advantage to, to, uh, excuse me, a substantial incentive to go ahead and push cases over and have them mediated before they come back. So Matt, as a lawyer, what are your goals? Wow. Uh, I want to be able to help businesses avoid problems. I want businesses to help them grow and help them thrive. Uh, when a business that I'm working with succeeds, it, it gives me a, a feeling of success as well. So I want to be a part of their success. Their success becomes my success. Um, if the business ends up with a problem, I want to be able to help them find the best solution to the problem in the most efficient manner possible. So let's, let's look at the problem. Let's be practical. Let's find, let's find the, the best solution. If the best solution involves having to litigate the case, that's fine. But let's not jump to that as the initial go-to on how we solve problems. And then, obviously, we just talked about mediation. So as a lawyer, I mean, I want to consider you to serve as a mediator to help attorneys and their clients find creative solutions and, and get out of their litigation matters as well. Uh, you know, um, I've gotten to know you, uh, you know, pretty good. And one thing I've always liked about your demeanor is, 
you truly care about putting the client's interests first. And I really appreciate that because you're a very good lawyer. You're a very good attorney. And um, Matt, you, you gave us all kinds of good stuff uh, to, to think about. And I, I want to ask you, um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, would it be the contact information I'm going to put in the, uh, the, the show notes? your phone, your, your email and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Or they could visit the website, which is www.matttheorylaw.com. And it's M-A-T-T-T-H-I-R-Y-L-A-W.com. Now, Matt, the, uh, the last question I'm going to ask you here is you're down there in Georgia in, uh, in that beautiful area of the country. But if I'm sitting up in Connecticut here and I want to use you, what are my limitations, if any? Uh, there are limitations. I'm licensed to practice law in Georgia and Pennsylvania. The I would say to people, if they reach out to me and it's something that is outside of what I can do as far as service, I'm happy to help them locate someone in their area that can help provide that service. And I've done that throughout the country for folks. Yeah, you you tell me about different cases. So, but you're but if I had to call you to talk to you about a situation, knowing that you couldn't help me, but I could talk to you and you could steer me the right direction, um, that's a possibility, also, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm ha- I'm happy to uh, to have a, an initial consultation conversation with folks as long as I don't have a conflict of interest, which more likely than not, if they're coming from a different part of the country, there's a limited likelihood of conflict. But if I don't have a conflict of interest, I'm happy to have a conversation with someone to determine whether or not it's something I can help with myself, or if it's something that I need to help find them better options for. Um, Also, for the audience here, check out uh, Matt's Building Business Podcast. It's it's very good. And he, he always has some great uh, guest. As a matter of fact, this afternoon, I'm going to be a guest on one of your guests' podcasts. <laughs> so it's very good. So I thank you. So Matt, thanks so much for giving us the time and all this information. I really appreciate it. I'm going to have all the information on Matt in his show notes, and uh, it'll be up on the platforms in a couple of days. So Matt, is there anything else you'd like to say, Matt, before we leave? Well, I'd just like to thank you, Tom, for one, having me on as a guest. Uh, I, I really do appreciate it. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the show, but also uh, for being you. Uh, you've been a, a very great resource for me, a great connector as well. And I've uh, really appreciated the friendship. Thank you, Matt. Same here. So thanks again for the time, Matt. Thank you. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, Click like uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us. Please email me at tperone, that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly Let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. 
One, subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.